Mino Lion Media presents the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Kevin from Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits, and I'd like to welcome you to a new episode. Uh, I'm so happy uh, that everyone's been listening. I've been getting positive feedback. And the more you listen, the more I'm going to talk, the more we're going to keep talking, because that's really what it's all about. Uh, it's really about us unpacking, sitting around the campfire and, and, and learning about each other, learning about our different cultures, our diverse globe as a whole, uh, what makes you tick, what makes me tick, what makes you uncomfortable, how do we connect? That's why we're really here. So I am pleased to welcome our, our special guest this evening, Ms. Chastity Pendergrass. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me, Kevin. All right. All right. We'll jump right into it. Uh, thanks again for, for taking your time uh, to pull up and come through and just sit down and have a safe conversation this evening. Uh, so if you don't mind, tell us about who you are. Who is Chastity Pendergrass? Tell us about your education, your background, where you're from, anything that you think uh, the listening viewers will want to hear. Again, I am Chastity Pendergrass. I am from a small town, King Street, South Carolina, in Williamsburg County, a very rural area. I graduated from Claflin University with my undergraduate degree, and I have a master's MBA in human resources. Um, my current job is with the city of Myrtle Beach. I am the assistant to the city manager. As a side job, I am a licensed South Carolina esthetician. Um, I come from a big family. I have four brothers and four sisters. So I am the ninth child. We are very close. Um, they still think I'm a baby. They treat me like a baby sometimes. I love my family. Um, that's that's about it. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, you mentioned that you're a licensed esthetician. Tell us, what does that mean? What does that entail? An esthetician is someone who cares for the skin. The skin is a very important part of our body. It's the largest organ of our body. It's the covering. So you want to keep it real pretty. It's like when somebody comes to your house, you want to make sure that first room that they see is nice and clean. So when you present yourself, you want your skin to be nice, flawless, smooth, and glowing. So I help people keep their skin intact. Okay. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Uh, how did that become your passion? Um, I guess I've got to say it, it kind of started with my mom. My mom is now 80, 84 years old, and she always taught us about beauty and keeping ourselves up, even, even the boys. Um, she was very big on making sure our skin looked nice, making sure our hair looked nice, even though sometimes we didn't have the best clothes in the world, but she made them look nice and she wanted us to look nice at all the, all the time. One thing she would always tell me is always make your hair look nice as well. So it kind of started off as, um, being a passion, having a passion for hair. And then it morphed into having a passion for skin, because if you think about it, all of that goes hand in hand. If your hair doesn't look good, you just kind of messed up all, all the way around. You can have a, a, a million dollar outfit on and your hair is tore up. You're going to be tore up, too. So you got to start from the top and get everything in line. I like that. Start from the top uh, and get it in line. So how important? 
do you believe it is for people uh, to be educated about their skin? It's very important because, again, it's the first thing people see when, when they meet you. And you don't realize it, but you probably pay more attention to people's skin as, as you give yourself credit for. You probably pay more attention to your skin because I can see people now, you know, they'll say, hey, I got this pimple on me. I don't know where that came from. And it could come from a number of things. It could come from the way you eat. It could come from being stressed out. It could come from you not caring for your skin well enough. So it's very important for all skin types, all skin colors, all skin tones to take care of their skin. It doesn't matter what ethnic background you're from. Everyone needs to take care of their skin because after all, it is the covering and, and it's all it's all you got. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Uh, is there a skin tone that's more susceptible to skin cancer or any other health issues? Um, any skin tone can get skin cancer, but usually we find it in fairer skin tones. So that means lighter skin tone, lighter skin, um, black people or Caucasians or Asians. Again, that doesn't mean black people are exempt from getting cancer. That doesn't mean I hear a lot of black people say, I don't have to wear no sunscreen because I'm black. Well, that's not true. You still need to wear your sunscreen to protect. You want to protect that covering. Keep it real nice and clean. Keep it uh, protected from the sun's rays. People don't realize how strong and how damaging the sun rays can be, but they are very damaging. So you want to protect yourself even when it's not that hot outside. If you're outside for a long period of time, Maybe you're doing some lawn care or you're washing your car. You want to make sure you have that sunscreen on to protect your skin. That's interesting. And uh, and, uh, and and I and I'm a witness. I can attest to the fact that, you know, I'm a I'm a dark skinned African-American man and I was ignorant. You know, I didn't realize that everyone needed to wear sunscreen. And so about 15 years ago, I started trying to play golf. I, I go out there sometimes and I try to play. And uh, and I realized that I go out, I play, it'd be a hot, hot day, you know, 95 to 97 degrees. And when I finished, no, skin, no sunscreen because I believed, hey, my skin is right. I'm good to go. I don't need that. I'd finish and, and my skin would be dehydrated to the point where uh, you could see the salt on my face and I would feel, you know, I feel bad for like a week. But I was skin burnt. And, I, and I, I really so I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, there is a myth that everyone doesn't need to wear skin block. And everybody needs to. Even the kids, when you take your kids to the beach, if you have young children, make sure they're covered. Make sure they have sunscreen on when they go out to play. OK, so I got to ask you this. There's a term that that I've heard, you know, I was born in Harlem and then I spent some time. Uh, you know, growing up in Charleston, I, when I was about 10, I, you know, I moved to Charleston with my family and, you know, in the Gullah Geechee culture, as well as up north, it was always a term that I heard. I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but I always heard the term and I don't know if it's true or not. Black don't cry. Oh my. Have you ever heard that before? Yes. I have heard that lots of times. I've researched it a little bit and I have not been able to pinpoint the origin of that phrase. 
the closest thing I've gotten to it is it may have started in the 1800s in some type of journal. So if, if that's true, it's been around a long time and people keep saying it over and over. Well, dark skinned black people or fairer skinned black people, we have more melanin and melanin helps protect it. It gives more color. White, Caucasian or Asian people, they have less melanin. So they don't have that much protection as black people. So that means the skin can look younger and, and more youthful than white or Caucasian or Asian skin. So people kind of just took that and they ran with it and they use it all the time. And, you know, sometimes we make jokes about it and, and, and we try to figure out people's ages and, and we say, oh, they got to be about 30. No, no, they're not 30. They're in their 60s. Oh my goodness. Black don't crack. We go on and on and on. But that's where that kind of came from. Okay. That's pretty interesting. I'm glad you cleared that up. And again, I'm a witness. You know, I've heard it all, you know, all my life. But when I went out there and didn't put on sunscreen, I paid the price. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad you cleared that up. That's, that's pretty interesting. Now, I understand that you were actually in the TV news industry. Can you tell us about that? I was. Before I came to the city of Myrtle Beach, I worked in TV news for 10 years. And um, when I got into TV, I knew I did not want to retire from it. It was something that I had a passion for and I wanted to do it. I was all passionate about it. And I told myself when I got into it, I'm going to do it until I get tired. And when I get tired of it, of it, I'm going to get out of it because when you don't do that, what you do is you start um, basically bringing the whole morale down for the team. And I didn't want to be one of those Debbie Downer people. I wanted to get out of there when I was done. And um, in 2015, I was able to get another job with the city of Myrtle Beach, um, still working in communications at that time, but just out of TV. Um, during my TV time, when I first got into TV, it wasn't that hard for me to get into because you know what they say, when you know people, you can go places. So I knew this girl, I was in college and I knew this young lady that worked part-time for the TV station. And I asked her, I said, Hey, do you think you can help me get in at so-and-so TV station? She said, Oh yeah, I think I can do that. And so she, she put in a good word for me. And um, I filled out the applications, did everything that was required of me. And they took a chance on a little country girl from King Street, South Carolina. And I stayed there. When I first started in TV, I worked as a part-time, they called it news assistant. So that person would be responsible for getting all the video ready. At that time, I'm getting ready to tell my age now, we were using tape. They don't use tape anymore. So I was running around getting the tapes ready for the newscast. Um, I started off working in the evening newscast. So at six o'clock, I had another job. I was living at home. I had just finished at Claflin University in the fall, but we only have spring. At that time, we only had spring commencement. So I had to go back home and my mom said, you can come back, but you got to have a job. So I had to make sure I had a job and I had two jobs. So I worked at the uh, electric company during the day. And then I worked at so-and-so TV station in the evening time. So I, I, I wanted to get my foot in the door. So anything I had to do, I said, once I get my foot in, then I could, I could climb. And, and that's kind of what I did. 
Well, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm sure you got some, some some pretty good stories that you can tell about your experiences. So, you know, a lot of times people use the term, you know, don't just invite me to the party. Let me dance. Right. In other words, don't don't just check a box and let me be here. Um, did you go through any any challenges at the TV uh, station that that felt that made you feel like you weren't you were just there? You weren't really a part of what was going on? Yeah, a couple of times. And once and I recall this, I go back to this situation a lot. Um, and, and this was the end of my TV career. I was I was ready to be done. But I said, you know what, I'm going to try my hand at one more thing. I wanted to. I applied to be the senior producer. That person at that time, I don't know if that's the way they still do it. They produced the six o'clock newscast and, and they're responsible. And the six and 11 are at that time were the big newscast. So you have all your reporters in there doing various stories and you're responsible for all these people um, making sure everybody had what they were supposed to have for the newscast. And um, I had filled in for the six o'clock news. I was responsible for those younger people coming in, training them and all of that. I said, I can do this job. So I applied. Well, I got called in. I went through the interview and everything and I didn't get the job. Well, that's fine and dandy. We don't always get what we want. But when I when I went to my supervisor and I asked, what could I do better? What could I have done in order or what do I need to do? in order to get that position when it comes open again. And he couldn't give me an answer one way or the other. And, and I really think, of course, he wouldn't tell me that. I really think it was just because of the color of my skin. And so I felt some type of way about that for a while. But eventually, you know, I got over it because I knew I could do that job. I was doing the job. So that wasn't the question. So that's something that kind of stuck out to me and, and made me, you know, just take a step back and think, wow, the color of my skin could change that. Is that, is that what I'm thinking? Is that really true? So I, I just had to take a step back and, and pay attention to that. Yeah. I definitely appreciate you sharing that. And, and just to follow up, uh, I got one follow-up question. And that is, as far as you know, historically, has the TV news industry been a hard place for African-American women to thrive? Um, it could be. It could be very hard. And another thing that a lot of women have to deal with, um, in the earlier days of TV, it was mostly dominated by men. So, you know, you had to go in there and you had to compete with these men and you had, to, and a lot of times, you know, the women were doing a better job than the men, but because it was a male dominated um, career, you had to work extra hard. And, and, and you know, I'm not, I don't care about working hard. I, I, I can do that. But sometimes women were still overlooked, even though they worked hard. They put in that overtime, and double time, and triple time. They had all these degrees and all this experience. They're still overlooked. Do you believe that things have changed in that industry uh, for women? It has some. Um, you know, sometimes it takes longer for some people, some industries, um, some businesses to change. But I think it has improved drastically, especially since I've left the TV industry. You know, I'm seeing more and more um, diversity on air. That's something that I dealt with uh, when I worked at the TV station. At one time, uh, I was in the background 
And so people didn't know I was there, but we had no black or either um, diverse on-air talent. And that was a problem. And that went on for several months. The people in the background working at the TV station started talking about it. And soon we got calls from the viewers. And some of them just flat out say, hey, where the black people at? And, you know, the the leaders had to step back and take a look at it and say, hey, we got to get some diversity in here because our viewing area is diverse. And when people look at TV, they want to see people that look like them as well. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, I spent some time in law enforcement and I can speak to. I can speak to that culture and I can speak to how, you know, based on uh, the diversity of, of the agency and the relationships that you have with the community, things could get a lot of things could get done, especially when people are on the same page. How important uh, do you believe that it is for uh, the TV news industry to have people of color, not just on staff, but but working the beat out there talking to the community? It's very important. Um I was one of my reporters was in a situation and uh, something that happened in in the black community and some of the community community members told the reporter, hey, I'm not talking to anybody else if they're not black. They wanted to tell their story to a black person. And I mean, we couldn't. That was their that's what they want. That was their perception. They would rat. They were comfortable with talking to a black person, and that's very important when you are in TV news because you want to get the story. And if it takes you sending black people to black community, that communities, that's what you're going to do. But if you don't have them, then what are you going to do? So that's one reason why it's important. And another reason is when you go out to the the coverage area, like I said earlier. People want to see people that look like them. Not that they don't want to see other people, but they do want to see people that look like them as well on TV. It gives them a sense of pride. Like, hey, if that person can do it, I can do it too. I can be in front of that camera just like so-and-so is. Wow. I can imagine. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, And I appreciate you sharing your experience. Let me ask you this. Let's switch gears a little bit. So recently, uh, there's been a lot of controversy uh, surrounding Disney and The Little Mermaid, right? And so, you know, just reading a little bit about it and trying to get caught up on what's, what the deal is, are you up to speed and familiar with what's going I on? I am there? familiar and I am just, I am disappointed that we, not on this podcast, I mean, as a nation or as a world, even discussing this you know we've gone through so much and i i just it just baffles me that people are upset that there is a a black person playing a role of an imaginary character so if you think that way about something that's not really real what do you think about president barack obama michelle obama Venus and Serena, Michael Jackson, Kevin Waits, Chastity Pendergrass. What do you think about real people 
So I am just really, it, it just, it, it kind of gets my blood to boiling that we're even talking about this. I was just so disappointed that we're talking about that. Yeah, I was disappointed too. You know, the first thing, honestly, the first thing that came to my mind was Barbie dolls. That is the first thing that came to my mind. I'm like, okay, why is there so much controversy? Um, I don't, you know, and I'm sure uh, African-American Barbie dolls have been around for a long time, but I don't remember hearing the, the, the drama and the controversy associated with it. Just, you know, like this little mermaid situation. Uh, again, you said it, it is a, it's a fictional character, but it, it, it sparked when Disney, from what I understand, when Disney showed the trailer, uh, you know, for the remake in 2023, it sparked all kind of racist comments. It sparked, uh, I think they said 1.5 million dislikes on YouTube. And I'm like, this is, uh, I, I don't, I don't understand it. Um, there was no issues before. And now I believe it's Halle Berry playing, uh, the little mermaid. Um, if you had to explain this situation, if you had a niece or a granddaughter or a daughter and you had to explain the situation to them, how would you do it? Oh, you know what? And, and I haven't I haven't thought about that because I, I don't have children, so I don't have to explain a lot of things like some parents do. Um, it, it would really be hard to do. I would probably have to uh, kind of go back and give them a little history lesson so that everything can kind of connect to make them understand that, you know, um, black people have always struggled with 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 not being enough. And we are enough. We are more than than enough. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because you said something I remember uh, when I was growing up, you know, my parents instilled in us. Don't and, and and they never said don't be don't be great at something or don't be good or, or you know what I'm saying it was hey you know stay in your lane you know be respectful uh uh you know don't be mixing up and, and, and making yourself seen you know stuff like that you know what I mean and I don't I don't I believe that it within sometimes within the African American culture we sometimes learn how to make ourselves invisible, you know what I'm saying? Or we devalue ourselves. And, 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 and it wasn't even on purpose. Our parents would, you know, they weren't saying that and it wasn't something that was intentional, but the way we had to move, you know, hey, you got you to gotta run twice as fast. You know what I'm saying? We just kind of kept our head down and made ourselves invisible, kind of walking around with our finger <laughs> up like Medea, you know what I'm saying? And just, and just going about our business. But it, uh, I can imagine it would be tough to to explain this situation to a small kid. I have a five year old daughter, a granddaughter, and uh, I hope she didn't <laughs> ask me about it. You know what I'm saying? Because it is, I could imagine it being a tough conversation. But I just wish that 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 uh, people would open up their eyes a little wider and understand that a situation like a young African American kid looking at Serena. Let's just use Serena as an example, right? She just, you know, played her last tournament, but just looking at her career and looking at how this small kid, I use my my five-year-old granddaughter, looking at Serena and saying, wow, you know, she's amazing. She's beautiful. 
She can do this. She's awesome. She's going to be one of the the, the, the GOAT. She's going right. to be the GOAT greatest of all time. You know what I'm saying? And, and just the sense of pride, like you mentioned earlier about the community as you watch the TV industry, the news, and you see people that look like you. So what is it about Hallie playing The Little Mermaid that rubs people wrong? I just, I really don't understand it. I don't, I don't either. I have, I really have no words. I, I really don't understand why people are yeah, upset about yeah, that. Yeah. Because, you know, when you look back mm-hmm. at all the great inventions that Black people came up with, that right there should tell you that we can, we are great. We can do anything just like any other race. Just accept us, allow us to be great. Yeah. Give, yeah. give us that space to be great. Don't put us in a box. Yeah, I like that. And I think, you know, as we talk about culture and diversity, I had uh, one of my colleagues say this one time and, and, you know, my colleague happened to be a, a, a white Caucasian man. And we're having a conversation. He said, Kevin, I really don't understand what the big deal is. He said, as we talk about culture and diversity, it's not a curse word. It's not something bad. It's it's it's, it's really about people open up their eyes and their hearts a little bit wider. You know what I'm saying? And I think that when I always talk about humanity and how we got to leave with humanity, I think when we put humanity in the mix, then we don't have this drama, you know what I'm saying, about what color the Little Mermaid is. I think we we see it as, hey, first of all, it's a fictional character. Second of all, all of our kids have a right to be inspired. All of them have a right to be inspired. All right, so I'm going to ask you one more question, Chastity. Uh-oh. This is going to be tough. I don't know if you're ready for it, but this this is going to be tough. Suppose you ran into... A genie, right? Who was again a fictional character, a genie. And the genie says, Chastity, I'm going to give you three wishes. I'm going to grant three of your wishes. But the only caveat is the wishes that you get have to somehow address today's social issues, right? What would your three wishes be? Wow, that is a hard one. Well, first of all, I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. I just wish that the color of our skin, anybody's skin, wouldn't even matter. And a lot of this stuff we're talking about, we wouldn't be talking about because we would be busy doing the work and we wouldn't be worrying about the color of somebody's skin, whether they're black or white or Asian. We just know that they're in a position to do the work and they're going to do it. Another thing that I probably wish, I wish that we could get along better. And I feel like if we did that, it will be less violence. And I think sometimes this violence come about because we don't understand people. We haven't communicated well enough to understand them. We don't know their background. So when you know somebody's background, sometimes you figure out things that may trigger them. And so I think we need to communicate more and that would help get rid of some of this fussing and fighting and and gun violence and all of that. The last thing, if I had a wish, seems like over the past, I mean, 10, 20 years, people have just been there. There have been all sort of diseases and sicknesses and all of that. I mean, we just 
got through a pandemic, a global pandemic. I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Um, I'm not an expert on that, but that's just my personal opinion. I wish I could give health care to everybody. You know, I wish everybody had insurance and, and had access because, you know, if you don't, first thing happens when you go to the emergency room or doctor, they ask you, do you have insurance? And I really do feel like when you don't have insurance, you don't get the best care. And that's just unfortunate. Yeah. You know, something you said hit close to home to me. I remember growing up, it was when I moved to Charleston. Uh, you know, we moved from Harlem again. Uh, I was about 10. And I remember getting sick as a child. And, you know, we we couldn't go and I won't name hospitals, but we couldn't go to certain hospitals. Right. Because, you know, we were poor. We were poor. And but we would went we would go to what they called uh-huh. county, right? We would go to what they call county, and uh, and I can remember sitting in there with a sore throat 10, 12 hours, 10, 12 hours. You know, and we're talking about the importance of a good health care for everybody. But I can remember as a kid sitting in there for ten to twelve hours, and it was like no fault of. The, the the organization or the facility, the you know, specific hospital, they were doing the best they could, but people were constantly coming in. You know, they had limited resources. And it just amazed me that when I got older and, and you know, started a career and I had really, really good insurance, the difference in how people were approached and taken care of as it relates to healthcare. Why gap? Why gap? So I really appreciate your time this evening. Uh, would you come back? Definitely. Okay, cool. I I really enjoyed uh, just chopping it up and having this conversation with you. Now, you are a licensed esthetician. And if somebody wanted to find you or use your services, how would they find you? I'm on Facebook. Charismatic Beauty is my business name on Instagram. It's charismatic beauty underscore chastity. You can reach out to me on those platforms. I am building a website. It's coming. It's under construction. So that will be Another way you can reach me, you can reach me by telephone, 843-687-2508. That's pretty cool. That's pretty dope. I appreciate it. Now, I have one more question for you, but I got one more. I can't help it. You know what I'm saying? It just it just came to my mind, and I'm not going to let you leave without giving the listening viewers this tip. Can you give a tip to our listeners about what is the most neglected part of our body as it relates to skin? Wow. I'm glad you asked that because a lot of people don't pay attention, but the most neglected part of the body is the back. Why? Because you can't reach it well. So what you can do, um, there are brushes that you can use and um, make sure you're exfoliating your back. You know, when you get in the shower, all you can really do is run that water across your back. But when you do that, you're not getting rid of the dead skin. So then your back ends up being dirty and oily and you might get bumps on your back more than you have on the rest of the, of your body. And it's simply because it's, it's a hard to reach place. I appreciate that. I could not let you go without asking you that. You know what I'm saying? That's pretty dope. And a lot of people don't even think about it, getting that brush and, and you know, doing what you got to do. And But I appreciate that. So again, thank you so much, Ms. Chastity Pendergrass, for joining us. I hope you come back real soon. And once again, uh, I, you know, I always tell listeners, don't get it twisted. Just because it's called safe conversations doesn't mean it's soft conversations. We talk about all kinds of things. 
I thank you for talking about your skincare. I thank you for sharing with us about your industry and just how you feel about several other things. Thank you so, for having me. It was a pleasure. You. Definitely ready to come back. All right. Awesome. And for everyone out there, keep listening. The more you listen, the more we're going to talk. All right. I'm Coach Kevin, and we'll see you next time. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Waits. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcasts. Find Kevin Waits on Facebook at Kevin Waits and join the Safe Conversations group. Follow the Mino Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mino Line Media. Get the Mino Line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production.